It's been 57 years since Britain held a state funeral. Operation Hope Not took place in 1965 for one of the most prominent figures of World War II and also a personal hero of mine, Winston Churchill. Attended by representatives from 120 countries, more than 1,000 police and security, nine military bands, 18 military battalions, it was the largest state funeral in history. And now Queen Elizabeth II, who was mentored by Churchill when she ascended the throne, will have her own state funeral next Monday, September 19. I'm Charles Morris. This is The Great Stories Podcast. And I want to share with you an interview with someone who literally wrote the book about the Queen's faith in Jesus, Catherine Butcher. Moments after the news of Elizabeth's death broke last Thursday afternoon, I had Catherine on the line with me to talk about Her Majesty's steadfast faith in Christ and the hope she clung to as she went home to be with her Lord. As this second Elizabethan era draws to an end, I hope this conversation will give you insights on the faith of England's longest reigning monarch. But more than that, I hope it gives you a sense of hope as every believer can look forward to reigning forever and ever with Jesus Christ. And so without further ado, let's get started. I'd like you to meet Catherine Butcher. Catherine Butcher, I just want to welcome you as not just a fellow believer in Jesus Christ, but you're also a journalist, aren't you? Yes, Charles, yes. It's good to be speaking to you. Thank you for coming back with us uh, on the program. Tell us, how is this passing being received in the UK? Well, it's been uh, prepared for for a long time. We've called it London Bridge. London Bridge is down is the message that came would have come from the royal royal household to announce the death of the Queen. And we had an unprecedented announcement on Thursday lunchtime that the Queen was uh, being looked after by doctors. And then by six o'clock in the evening, we had been told that she had died. And all the Queen is dead, long live the King. And it's already been announced that he is King Charles III uh, in the UK. The monarch can choose a name and he chose the name Charles, it would seem. So now begins 10 days of mourning and the funeral will take place probably on the 11th day. But again, that will be announced. So how is it being received? Already, even before the Queen's death had been announced, people were gathering at Buckingham Palace in London and outside the gates of Balmoral, her country residence in the north of Scotland. There are tributes coming in from all over the world and they started coming in even before her death. And there will be an enormous outpouring of grief. Already it is very evident that people are deeply moved. Newsreaders are speaking with sombre voices and wearing black ties and the the BBC switched to a 24 hour uh, tribute to the Queen as soon as the state of her health was announced. So for most of us, the Queen has been the monarch all of our lives. And this is a tremendous, this is a huge shock to us as a, as a nation, but also as the Commonwealth, as, as you know, the Queen is much, the Queen was much loved around the world. Hmm. Let's talk about 
the side of the queen that you wrote a book about, uh, something that I think is very significant, um, uh, even with all the problems in the royal family, and that gets, of course, put out on the tabloids, and that seems to carry the day in the news cycles. But uh, this was a queen who was decidedly a follower of Jesus Christ, wasn't she? Yes, definitely. And every year she made a broadcast to the Commonwealth, which she wrote herself. A lot of her speeches were written for her, but the Queen wrote her own Christmas broadcasts and she regularly spoke about her faith in Jesus. One of her favourite um, one of her favorite Bible stories was the Good Samaritan. And she mm. took, uh, saw that as a great example. And she talked about Jesus Christ as her inspiration, a role model, an anchor in her life. And she referenced his, his birth and his death and his resurrection. And she talked about the hope that we have because of Jesus. So she was someone who was very natural in the way she spoke about her faith, but very confident in the hope that, that Jesus gave to her. It reminds me of something that you've told me about before. Uh, she had arrived, what, two months ago, I guess, at her summer home in Scotland, I guess. That's right, in July, early July. And it's something that's significant, that story you told us before, and I'd like you to tell it again. She would go to church. Tell us about that little church. Tell us about her going to worship the Lord on Sundays. Well, when the Queen... Uh, wherever the Queen uh, lived, she uh, went to church. So at Balmoral, there's a little church just outside the gates of the estate. And the Queen would would drive there or in the earlier days might walk, but in the more recent times would, would drive to church and, and worship with everyone else. And in the, the home that uh, she used at Christmas, uh, Sandringham in, in the east of, of England, she would slip in a side door. She'd drive up uh, on the gravel and uh, just slip in the side door and sit in a pew just like anybody else. And wasn't expecting ceremony, wasn't expecting people to stand in her presence. She was there to worship her king. And uh, she used the old fashioned version of, of the Anglican service with lots of these and thous. But uh, yes, she, she worshiped the king the king of kings, uh, and was someone who, who was happy to talk about that in her own broadcasts. And that actually came out in another book that you and Mark Green wrote a few years ago when she turned 90 years old. The title of that book was The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. Um, I think that's significant, and that goes along with what you're describing to us right now, doesn't it? Yes, and I think it was evident through the, the things that she said that, that she was someone of great humility, uh, someone who had a, a tremendous sense of duty and integrity. There was no scandal surrounding the Queen. And she was someone who knew how to forgive. Um, there are members of her family who died as a result of um, a bombing, and she reached out her hand to those who were probably involved in that bombing, and she gave she showed forgiveness and she talked about forgiveness and she talked about how God sent into the world a unique person uh, 
our saviour with the power to forgive. And she talked about forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, and it can reconcile divided communities. And she said it's in forgiveness that we find the power of God's love. And I think that was something that she knew herself in her own family life and in the life of the nation. She sought to bring people together. So although uh, your, your listeners might be aware of the divide in Ireland, over many years, the Queen sought mm -hmm. to bring reconciliation to that part of our nation and with the, the Irish nation. So she was someone who sought forgiveness and uh, reconciliation, just like our, our, our Saviour Jesus. If you just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, and on with us is Catherine Butcher. She is an author. She's a journalist in England. Queen Elizabeth has died at age 96, and uh, Great Britain is in mourning right now. One of the things that many North Americans perhaps don't understand, uh, we've heard some comments from some of our listeners when we had you on a few months ago, why didn't she take certain stands on certain issues? Uh, just explain the constitutional monarchy to us, Catherine. Well, the Queen has the right to be consulted, to inform and encourage, but not to, uh, not to change legislation. So the monarch has, has to sign legislation into law, but doesn't, constitutional monarchy doesn't mean you, you have the right to, to make changes to that law. So the government makes the, the laws and governs on behalf of the monarch. So it's not as if the Queen could have said, well, I don't want to sign that. That's, that's just not the way it works here in the UK. Mm. How do you think the example plays out that she set for other leaders in the world today, other world leaders? What lessons could they learn from this Queen, this monarch? Well, Queen Elizabeth was someone who may have owned the most powerful jewels in the world, or at least been, she, she wore them on ceremonial occasions, but she was someone who, who didn't have airs and graces. And uh, when she was in um, her country residences, she, she'd be wearing very normal clothes. Um, she didn't wear jewels. And uh, uh, when she received the, the new prime minister only two days before her death, she was wearing a, um, a tartan kilt and a cardigan, uh, very, very normal sort of clothes. So she didn't have airs and graces. And for other monarchs around the world, she, she sought to serve. So every day of her reign, she dealt with what, what's known as the red box. That's a box of government papers that came to her from uh, Westminster. And she dealt with those every day, even into her 90s. Um, apart from Christmas Day and Easter Sunday. So she was someone who was faithful in her work and dutiful, and she sought to honour people who were unnoticed by others. We have a system in the UK where honours are conferred by the monarch on her birthday, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. often that recognises the, the unsung hero, and she sought to do that. Mm. Catherine, obviously in the next few days, there will be a, a great funeral held in London. Uh, all the family will be attending, uh, not just 
people who were subjects of this queen, but people all over the world will be watching this as well. Uh, hymns will be sung, and uh, and also a new king, her son Charles, uh, will be inaugurated as the King of England. But her passing ends a special era. She really took her job seriously, didn't she? Even before she became queen, all the way back to World War II, didn't she? Yes, as Princess Elizabeth, she she learned to to drive a truck, and she could um, mend the the engine of the truck that she was uh, supposed to drive as a member of the um, the territorial arms armed services. So she was someone who who wanted to be practical and practically involved, but she was also someone who sought to to lead the nation in in worship because whenever we had a uh, an important occasion in our country, the Queen would be at church and she would lead the nation in worship, in thanksgiving for great state occasions, but also when the country was mourning and it's to church that she went. Uh, so she's someone who has shown us by that example that um, that our worship is, is due to, to a greater King. Well, with that in mind, I know you did this the last time, uh, would you mind leading us in prayer all over the world? Uh, just lead us in prayer as a Christ follower uh, for this fallen queen who's now with her Lord and Savior, the King of Kings in heaven. It's a privilege. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life and example of Queen Elizabeth, your servant. Father, we ask that you will comfort those who mourn, particularly her family and all those who, throughout the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth who mourn her, her loss. And Father, we pray for King Charles III that he will be a man who follows his mother's example and will follow you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Father, we ask that you will bless him and his family in the coming days as we mourn the death of Queen Elizabeth II. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Catherine, thank you for doing this for us on such short notice. A privilege, a privilege. You just heard my conversation with Catherine Butcher, recorded shortly after the Queen's death last Thursday afternoon. Now I'd like to share an additional conversation with you from the day after. Our executive producer, Troy Lambert, called her back and asked a few more questions. To get started, it's not just your nation that is moved by this. The, the, the sympathy from the world around is, is phenomenal. You know, why, why do you think this comes at such a, a loss for so many people all around the world, let alone the British? Well, the Queen travelled around the world and uh, she visited... Australia more than a dozen times and many other countries uh, she she spoke French fluently and she she worked hard to build relationships with people of all sorts of different uh, nationalities cultures religions she sought to respect everyone and and I'm told that whenever she met someone 
they felt that they were the only person she was interested in. She she didn't look over their shoulder to see if someone else was better, to more interesting in the background. She was looking directly at you if you were the person in front of her and she was interested in you as a person. So that personal intimacy, but also that huge scope of traveling the world, um, built relationships all around the world. And then, of course, she invested herself in building the Commonwealth and building reconciliation between different countries, countries that are very different, um, changed from being those connected by empire and rule to those who are friends, all equal countries, 56 independent states and nations that are um, all treated equally. So those are um, those are some of the reasons that people around the world uh, recognize her. I mean, they, um, in France, they said uh, she she may be your queen, but for us, she's the queen, the only queen. And and for so many people, she she was part of their lives for so long. You know, and it wasn't just that she was visiting all these countries, but this is the queen for 70 years. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what she brought to her role as a woman, as you know, as the queen? Well, there was one occasion when the Queen talked about how she couldn't lead us into battle, but she could give us her heart. And that uh, commitment, that heartfelt uh, service to the nation, as she followed her, um, the example of Jesus, she often talked in her Christmas broadcast about uh, how Jesus served and Jesus Christ was, was an example of service. And, and she took that example to heart and sought to do likewise. So she brought that sense of service. She brought, um, in, sen- in a sense, uh, a motherhood to, to her role that obviously a king can't do. And many people look back at her as, as the grandmother we all wish we had. Uh, so that femininity. And then she was a, a, a beauty in her own right. I mean, it wasn't just the amazing clothes that she wore. It was, um, she was a beautiful young woman and grew to be a, a woman who was noble and honourable, uh, faithful and dutiful. So all of those things would have made her stand out to people um, as a woman and, and as, as the, the queen. Yeah, and so in, in many ways, we feel like we, we have lost our grandmother, haven't we? <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, yes. A, a bit of a follow-up question to something you answered yesterday. Um, if you could maybe rephrase it, it's the part about the a, the apoliticalness of her, you know, the, the, to be above the politics. And yet, unfortunately, there are those who think, well, how can a Christian be in that high of a role? Maybe just talk a bit about like the monarchy is, is very different and what they're allowed to say and not to say. And yet she still, when she had that opportunity to speak, she talked about her savior, right? So as a constitutional monarch, the queen was not able to make laws, but her signature was required to bring, to put law into practice. So the government would often draft her speeches and would write the legislation, but the queen was the one who had to sign it to, that's how our constitution works. It's very different from your presidential system. But then when the queen did write her own speeches at Christmas, she was frequently referring to Jesus Christ. So. 
um, in 2002, for example, she said, I know just how much I rely on my own faith to guide me through the good times and bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, to give of my best in all that the day brings and to put my trust in God. Like others of you who draw inspiration from your own faith, I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. So she's someone who recognised other people's faith, but she was very clear about her own Christian faith. She talked about how following Jesus helped her to respect people of all faiths and of none. So she was someone who treated everyone well because she saw, she saw how she is loved by God and, and therefore she would want to convey that to other people. And yet she, you know, even though she had that respect, she also was very honest and open that, you know, Jesus Christ is is worthy of anybody to investigate and to look into. Right. Well, yes, because she she made it very clear that she was celebrating Christmas because of the Prince of Peace. And she said, for me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace is an inspiration and an anchor in my life, a role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. He stretched out his hands in love, acceptance and healing. Christ's example has taught me to seek to respect and value all people of whatever faith or of none. So those were just one example. And then she also said in uh different year uh, for me the teachings of christ and my own personal accountability before god provide a framework in which i try to lead my life i like so many of you have drawn great comfort in difficult times from christ's words and example so lots of different ways that she expressed her faith christ not only revealed she said christ not only revealed to us the truth in his teachings he lived by what he believed and gave us the strength to try to do the same and finally on the cross he showed the supreme example of physical and moral courage so she talked about jesus she talked about resurrection and she was someone who evidently was confident that there was life after death. She, she wasn't afraid to, to consider her own mortality. In fact, there's a funny story that the Archbishop of Canterbury would tell. Uh, back in 2015, the Queen came to the General Synod of the Church of England. That's the governing body of the Church of England. And the whole group there sang the national anthem, which has that line, long live our gracious Queen. And as she left the stage with the Archbishop, she said, I think I've lived long enough, don't you? And of course, he couldn't agree with her because that would have been treason. But to be able to joke about your own mortality and seven years ago to be able to say, I think I've lived long enough, is uh, someone who's remarkably at peace with their own destiny. Uh, that's a great that's a great point. The queen's interest uh, in faith, did that just come as she became queen and head of the church, or, or has that always been a part of her family? No, for the queen, she came from a family of, of people who loved the Bible. So her own grandmother was, her maternal grandmother was part of a family where they read the Bible together for an hour every day. And the queen's mother was someone who subscribed to Bible reading notes and read Bible stories to her children. And when the queen was, um, she didn't go to school like other children, she had a governess, but the first half hour of every single week was scripture reading. So they were reading the Bible every week. And the queen was said to have had a, a well-read Bible by her bedside. So she was someone who 
who loved the Bible even as a child and loved the Bible stories and learned to pray and learned the Scottish Psalter, which is um, uh, a very particularly Scottish way of saying the Psalms. So she was someone who had a personal uh, love of scripture as well as the formal uh, love of scripture. And I think the challenge for her was that she was just a young woman when she became queen and that took her away from her own family. So it's difficult to know whether she was able to give any of that kind of time to, to the, uh, the religious upbringing of her own children who spent a lot of time with nannies and, and, and other people. So we don't know what our new king, uh, what his relationship with Jesus is, um, but he's certainly someone who has wanted to, to assure the nation that he wants to, to lead the Church of England in, in an appropriate way. And he has talked about his, his own faith. Interesting. Great. Can you talk a little bit about how uh, she's, she's, in a sense, on holiday and in her probably most favorite place in all the world, right? I mean, she, Scotland and those highlands. Yeah, in Balmoral, very, very yeah. secluded, very quiet. Yeah, and she could just be herself there. And yet she was still working, you know, your most recent prime minister, you know, just two days before she dies, she's working, you know, and maybe speak to her character in that. Well, well when, when she became queen, she promised that she would uh, serve until her dying day. And she did. Just two days before she died, she uh, met with the new prime minister and she was doing her duty. A lot of people at 96 would have uh, retired many, many years ago, but she carried on. One of her duties every day was to read the government papers in what we call the red boxes, uh, a box of papers delivered to her by the government for her to read and to sign and to be informed about. So in that short meeting with her new prime minister, she was able to talk eloquently about government issues. And uh, Liz Truss has has. Uh, commented on on how that happened even in that short 40 minute interview so right to the very end she was someone who was committed to fulfilling that promise that that she would serve to the very end wow amazing we talk about her legacy we talk about 70 years but that's difficult for us to frame i think if me talk a bit about how after her father dies she comes into power and how winston churchill was used to kind of really help her even as you know he was serving her and then you know maybe just a little bit about how you know that just shows us how long she has been queen <laughs> well when the queen came uh, to the throne uh, winston churchill was her prime minister and he was obviously a man of great experience and i think he saw her um, as a daughter figure and he coached her in her role. But now, uh, 70 years on from that moment and 15 prime ministers later, uh, then she's someone, she was someone who was able to give advice and to, to warn and to encourage, because those were the, are the constitutional monarch's roles in terms of government. And many prime ministers have spoken over the, the last few days since her death of how valuable their time was. It's a secret time, it's never reported, and, and yet they were able to speak very warmly of how the Queen was able to support them in their role as Prime Minister. Excellent, that's great. Any other story, a heartwarming story that you've seen in the last 24 hours? I know you probably, been, I know the BBC has completely changed your programming, so you're probably inundated with stories. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, 
Many people have talked about her warmth and her sense of humour and uh, former Prime Minister uh, Theresa May talked about when they, they went for a picnic. Uh, the Queen loved picnics and at Balmoral on the estate there, there's lots of space and everyone would would be taken out into the countryside. The picnic campus would come out and they would all take part in setting up the table and preparing for the picnic. And Theresa May, uh, her role was to, to get the cheese out of the box and put it on a plate and she dropped it. And she thought in that twinkling of an eye, what do I do? And she decided to pick up the cheese, put it on the plate, put it on the table. And then she looked up and the queen had watched her every move. And she said, the queen said nothing. She looked at her and she smiled and the cheese stayed on the table. So there's someone who wasn't too fussy about royal, uh, her royal taste buds and uh, cheese being totally clean. Uh, they were out for a picnic and they were having a good time. I love it. You know, now in some ways, your book, this is a bit of a eulogy. Real briefly, why you wrote the book, why you laid it out in such a beautiful graphic way. It turned out so good. Well, I'm always so privileged to work with some great designers. So, and I'm a magazine editor by, by trade. So the visual of a book is very important. I came across this little book of private devotions that the Queen had been given. It's a little plain black leather bound book. I found that in the Lambeth Palace Library. And this is a book that was given to the Queen. There are only a, a, a dozen or so copies in the world. And it was particularly written for her to prepare her for her coronation. So it includes daily devotions, Bible readings, prayers, and devotional thoughts that explained the ceremony that she was going to take part in. And I thought that this is something nobody knows about. Nobody has realized that the queen has this devotion, um, this devotional resource given to her to prepare her for the, for the coronation. So I thought, well, let's bring it to life for people. Now it's in very old English and it's a very plain little book. So um, I wanted to make sure it was very visual and I wanted to choose the language carefully and in some places to update that language so it wasn't thee and thou, but it was much more contemporary. So I took the essential parts of that devotional book, which focused on the anointing, the crowning, and the role of the role of the coronation to prepare the queen to be someone who is a servant of God. Because a lot of people think that the crowning is some civic ceremony that but they don't realize it takes place in a, in a church it's part of a communion service and the first thing the queen does when she walks down the aisle she goes straight past the throne and she kneels at the altar and has a few minutes in private prayer to god and then the ceremony begins so that was something that the queen that that demonstrated the nature of the queen's whole reign someone who would kneel before her, the King of Kings, before anybody kneeled before her. So I wanted to try and express that in, in words and in pictures so that people could begin to understand the central role of the Queen's Christian faith. Excellent. Great. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. I'm also grateful for Catherine Butcher joining us. Remember, if you want to learn more about Queen Elizabeth's faith and read some of her rarely seen personal prayers and devotions, you can find the fully illustrated book on our website at haventoday.org. 
Now, if you want to hear more conversations like this, why don't you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out. Leave us a five-star review. And you can also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on our blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Mm -hmm.